You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Good morning. Today the scripture will be read from Acts 7, verses, verse 48 to 50. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Thanks, Medley. Um, we're in the middle, or we're coming near the end of this series, actually, that's going to culminate next week with Easter Sunday. Uh, we're called The Story, where we've been taking a short six-week journey through the beginning of the Bible till the end. And our goal has been able to try to provide you to see uh, the Bible is not meant to be a bunch of just nice little life lessons where we can pick and choose, but it's actually part of this larger narrative. From the beginning to the end, God had a plan uh, from creation, making everything. And, and in the midst of that, things went really bad with the entry of sin and brokenness into the world. But in the midst of that, God had a promise. God had a plan and he let the people know. And as we looked at last week, that involved the coming of Jesus and that it made all things new. It changed everything. And today we're going to continue this idea of a story by looking at the strategy, mission. And as I was thinking about it, basically we're talking about the church and, and uh, there's no spoilers here. I mean, the church is God's strategy for his mission in this world. And as we think about church, particularly in America in 2017, church can be a really interesting concept. Um, there's this Christian satire site. I'm not really big on Christian satire, but some of the stuff is funny. Uh, one of their little stories is kind of like the onion, but if for a Christian version, but they were saying a bunch of folks got confused thinking they were in a mall when they were actually at this really large church. You know, it's like they got lost thinking, oh man, did I find myself in a mall and they were actually just part of a, a church. Um, and, and the thing is, church can become really strange when, when we think, and I'm not busting on anyone's ideas of what churches or your experience. Uh, we're not about saying that big churches are bad or little churches are good or it's not that. I mean, whichever way God will be proclaimed, we're all about. But if we're honest, church can also become a little strange. Like it can become a big show. It can become like more TV. Like it, it can become a place where we just kind of observe. Um, I mean, we can bring like animals on stage. And again, I'm not, I'm not against the stuff like that. But it's like it almost becomes like the circus. Like let me come to this thing and, and let me participate. Let me observe. Wow me. Impress me. You know, make this worth my while because I could be doing anything else to make it worth my time to be at this thing we call church. And it becomes a giant performance. It can become a show. And I think, um, again, the goal is not to talk about that so much, but I think in response to that, in response to sometimes church becoming um, a big show that we observe, for some people, um, the idea that's been, become common is that church isn't really about all this like singing and gathering here, and it's not about the show. And, and, and how you see this expressed sometimes is uh, maybe, maybe we'll all be part of some service project in the city, really good stuff. And we're like serving and we're doing these things. We're actively engaged. And then you'll hear someone say, this is what the church is really about. See, this is what we should be doing as if 
this is not really, you know, this is like old school kind of like religious. We don't need, we really need the church to be the church. Um, it's like downplaying corporate worship, but I think there's a false equivalence there. As if one means the other is not true. That somehow if you're out there being the people or serving, somehow that this is not as valid or important. But I don't think that's true. Because um, at our church, we, we, we um, put a high value on gathering together. We think that what we're doing here sitting is not just more TV. It's not just more entertainment. But this is actually a significant aspect of our growth as followers of Jesus. So the village... We think it's important that you're here. We think it's really important. We actually do not think that Sunday worship is just kind of something that's, that you should do when you're in the mood for it or if there's not other things going on. This might sound really radical. I, I, I think there's biblical precedent. You should probably look at the rest of your life and organize that around what we do here. You're like, what? <laughs> Are you like a cult? What the heck are you? I think this should actually, the worship of God together with his people should be the central component of what you do. And then you ask about other things. And you're like, how does that work with that then? I know radical stuff here, but Jesus is kind of, kind of radical. We place high value on singing. We place high value on, on being with one another, fellowshipping, prayer, preaching, communion, because those things fix our gaze upon God and worship. We orient ourselves to say the most important thing in our life is God. And the most important thing we can do then as his creation is to fix our gaze upon him and ask then not so much how should God change, but rather how might maybe we need to change in light of knowing who God is. Um, That's significant. It's critical. So I I think gathering together, it's a practical exercise that God gives us to remind us, honestly, that's not all about us. We say that a lot, right? Some people get kind of offended because we like hearing things are about us. But that the church is a reminder, things are not actually all about us. And maybe a good way to ask, because I used to do this when I was younger. When I would leave church, I, I, would, I would drive home or I would, and I would say, man, what did God tell me today? What did I experience today? How did God speak to me today? And that's not bad. We hope God speaks to you. But maybe the bigger question shouldn't just always be through a lens of me. But rather, instead of just, what did God say to me? Maybe asking, how is God moving? How is God moving in this bigger thing called the church and and in the city? Because sometimes I'm going to suggest those two things might not always look the same. It might not always feel like the same thing. Because corporate worship, it's an act of sacrifice. To be here is an act of sacrifice. The reality for many around our world, if you needed any reminder, this morning we just heard about the tragic bombing of a church in Egypt. Last I heard, over 20 lost their life coming to worship on Palm Sunday, the Christian church in Egypt, and many more injured. That around the world, corporate worship is not just um, an aspect of coming so that we can hear our message for the week or get a little pumped up, it is a sacrificial act. And for these brothers and sisters, this was literally a sacrifice for them. So I lay all that out here. Having expressed all about the importance of gathering, I do believe, even as important as this is, that we can lose sight of God's bigger story for the church if church becomes just about this. 
If church is just about this, I think we lose sight of the bigger mission and the bigger invitation that God gives to us. And that leads us into today's sermon where we're looking at the church as God's primary strategy for mission. That the church is God's main way that he desires to keep the story going and for her, his name to be known. So on that, let's look in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 6, in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, guide us right now, God. Um, Lord, it's so easy for us to forget why the church exists. But Lord, we are meant to be the display of your splendor in this world. We are meant to be the primary means by which you reveal Um, the expression of your word into a broken world, as broken as we are. And and our world is broken. And we do pray right now, even thinking about um, many families whose lives have been affected in Syria. And it's not just a week. This has been going on for a long time, but a lot going on this week. And praying, Lord, for your revelation. We pray for many families whose lives have been dramatically affected this morning in Egypt. They might not share physical blood with us, Lord, but we believe they are blood all the same because of the common faith in Christ. And there are families in mourning. So we pray for comfort and peace that we cannot understand in this world. And Lord, would you give us a glimpse then of what the church is to be? Guide us in this time. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, illuminate these things. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, this man Stephen, if you would read just a little bit ahead in in this chapter, he was chosen as one of the first deacons. And just like the deacons in our church who work to help those in mercy, that's who Stephen was. And he was known to be a very uh, man who was accustomed and knew God really well. So as part of his ministry, he was just proclaiming Jesus and as, you, as we just read here, he got accused of some blasphemy because the people didn't like what he was saying. They were making claims against Stephen that he was throwing away all the customs that, they've been, that, that have been part of their religious life. He's throwing, taking all the beautiful traditions of Israel, he's just throwing it into the toilet there. He's dishonoring Moses. Moses, like their greatest leader, he's dishonoring the name of Moses. In particular, he's speaking against the sanctity of the temple. He's saying that this wonderful idea of how we meet God, it's irrelevant. You know, this guy's, this guy's horrible, so they're going against him. So Stephen, in light of that, he, now he's got an opportunity to defend himself. Um, and, and just side note, 
if someone's got like a glow on their face, probably you don't want them defending themselves, but we're going to see, right? But he's got an opportunity to defend himself, but what instead he gives what we see in the rest of chapter 7 here. And, and it, he just goes through this revelation of how God has revealed himself throughout the history of the people of God. And here are some of the highlights, verses 2 and 3. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. What he's simply saying here is that the founding of the Hebrew nation, and he's talking to Hebrews, he's saying, yo, the founding of our nation, it didn't occur here in Jerusalem. As much as we center our faith and really, it's happened in Mesopotamia. This happened in a foreign land. This was not about Jerusalem. And Stephen, he goes on to give all these descriptions of God's work to speak to his people and to reveal himself to the people through his servants like the patriarchs, Abraham and, and his descendants, Joseph, Moses. And what he's doing, he's showing them, yo, this all happened outside of our geographic center of religion here. As much as we honor and love Jerusalem, this didn't happen in Jerusalem. This happened like everywhere else, like places like Egypt and the desert. God was revealing himself in those ways. He describes the law being given to Moses in verse 38 here. He said, this is the one. He's talking about Moses. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Um, You might have seen movies like Ten Commandments or or the Moses movie, the kids one. I forgot the name of that. But, you know, this whole idea, like, he received these, these stones with the Ten Commandments. You know, very holy, solemn, the law of God. And what he's saying here is, yo... This law that we hold so precious that we lift up. When, when Moses got, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't in a temple. He, he was in the desert. There was no building to receive these tablets in. And he goes on, as was read for us earlier from verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern they had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Catch this. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? (sighs) What Stephen is eloquently declaring here is that God has never dwelled among his people because they had a fancy temple or because they had some elaborate cathedral. God doesn't live in any physical building. He never did and he never will. Stephen here, I believe he was given a prophetic voice to talk about what was coming and what was happening. And maybe he got a little earlier than some of his peers were able to recognize it. But though his words were used to, and they were twisted to defame him, there was actually some truth to what he was saying. Because he recognized this movement of Christ, this movement of the people of God moving forth, it's not going to be contained within man-made walls. 
but it's going to be led by the very spirit of God. It's not going to be defined by architectural boundaries, but it's going to be released and move and free to go in the spirit of God. It will not be contained. I mean, it, it, this, this was such a radical claim that Stephen was making that we read in the next few verses. It would make him, it would make him one of the first followers of God to lose his life. Some would say that he was actually the first martyr of the church. Because he followed Jesus. And I would suggest that some of what Stephen says has relevance for us here today. As many years as ago as it was for him. So, I mean, earlier I talked about why gathering is important. And again, we fully affirm that. We, we, We believe getting together is important. Part of the reason I did that is we need to understand the rest of this in context here. Because as important as gathering together, as important as coming here on Sundays together is... Man, it's really easy to lose sight of what it's all about. Um, the thing is, some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and maybe it's the reason you're even here at the village. Um, because I think that in, there's this deeply ingrained cultural idea that having your seat, having, having your behind sitting in a seat on Sunday morning, like that's the point. I mean, that's just deeply ingrained in our culture. It's the stereotypical character, caricature we see on TV when you got like the dad who's forced to be at church. Like the kids, like the kids and dad, they all hate it, but they got to go because they don't want mad mama. Like that's like the TV character. And like the dad's like bored out of his mind. thinking, man, the Ravens are playing today. What am I doing in church? When's this guy going to stop talking? I got to get out of here. I'm hungry. And it's this idea like it's all about coming here to sit and that's doing church. And man, let's get through it as quickly as we can so we can get on to the rest of life. But think about it. Um, it, it and I hope I'm not being overly sacrilegious here. And that, you know that's always a good way to introduce something, right? But, I mean, isn't it a little weird, this idea that, again, important what we're doing here. But like God is sitting around and he's like counting all the churches around the world. And he's, you know, he's got it on each like time zone. So he's just a whole 24 hour thing during Sunday, right? But he's going to each other. Okay. How many people are coming to this church and how many people? Oh man, they got, they got what today? Okay. Well, that church. And like, he's got like this roster in heaven, like this a Google spreadsheet in heaven where he's typing down, like how many people are at every church and all around the world. Um, there's just a little something off about that. It's just a little, a little bit weird. And you know who recognizes the best that this is weird? The people who are not Christians. Or, or maybe they haven't been to church in a little while. And maybe that's some of you. And, and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Because you can notice it more than church people do. We can, we can miss this sometimes. Because I think the reality is that for a lot of people, what happens on Sunday doesn't necessarily seem to be lived out on Monday through Saturday. There's like a disconnect. There's like all this activity going on in the Sunday one or two hours, or depending on culture, like three, four hours. And then the rest of the world is like, the rest of the week is like, okay, whatever. Whatever. We did church. Um, There's really no significance to Sundays because it doesn't seem to make any discernible difference in Monday through Saturday. So why bother? And I think it's healthy for us as a church to recognize that and to ask Has my worship of God, 
Has my spirituality in Christ, has it been reduced to showing my face at a nice meeting in a nice building? And again, I'm not trying to minimize what we do here, but have I reduced what it means to follow Christ to showing up and putting my face inside of a nice place as, as, as beautiful as all this is? Because I don't want you to get me wrong. I love this building. And some of you who've been walking for a while, this is like a labor of love. We love this building. Um, I'll be real. Growing up, stained glass used to freak me out a little bit. I probably got some issues, right? I used to get uh, some trigger warnings for me. Um, but now I really love it. I mean, it is beautiful. I, 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 I love like the ornate structures and ways that we're able to experience God through all these things and the stained glass. And when the sun comes in, oh, it's gorgeous and little angel babies' faces. I mean, I, I don't know what that means, but I mean, it's, it's beautiful, right? Um, but guys, we need to know the truth. The reality is it's, it's just wood. I mean, it's just stone. It's just glass. It's some weird other stuff that I'm not sure what it is. But it's just material. I mean, the materials themselves are constructed. They're beautiful. And I'm not saying it's not something to be cared for. We should pay attention to it. We should do our best to steward it. We should care for it. But guys, in and of themselves, those things are not sacred. It's just wood. It's just metal. It's just glass. The truth is, and I'm not a prophet, so don't, don't, the truth is lightning construct this building, um, hopefully while we're not in it, and, and, and just set the whole thing ablaze one night. And you open up your web browser, you're like, church in Hamden blows up. And you're like, oh man, oh no. I mean, that would be horrific. It, that would be tragic. But the thing is, guys, the church would still be here because you are all the church. And you would all be, I hope, you'd all still be meeting together somewhere. Maybe in a bunch of different houses together. Maybe just like when persecution and hardship has come historically through the church. What happened? They kept meeting. They kept saying, okay, well, we don't got our building, but we're still the church. Because that's what the church is. And we say it so much, it can be just become trite, like, the, we, the people are the church. That's the reality that the Bible gives us of who the church is. You and I bonded together in Jesus. That's who the church is. So I love this building. But if this building were not here, that doesn't mean there's no more village church. Because you are the village church. As beautiful as this space is, we, not, we, we have to not make the mistake to make this the centerpiece of our church. The people of God gathered by and in the spirit of God, that's what's sacred. Amen? And it requires, I think, a fundamental shift in our thinking to get away from segmenting this couple of hours in our week. That's church time. It really requires like, and we do that, right? We got like, okay, I got workout time and I got work time and I got school time and, and I got like eating time and I got Netflix time and I got, oh I, oh, I got sleep time. Oh, I guess I got to have some church time too. And like we segment into these different little compartments of when we do church, but it's, it's using language that's intentional. Like, like for us, we try not to say when we're about to sing, saying now let's get ready for worship. 
not that the singing stuff, it's gorgeous, it's wonderful, it's a part of worship, but that in and of itself is not just worship. All of this is worship. Life is worship. Everything that we do in the name of God is meant to be worship. Our whole lives, that our worship, if our worship is just about the singing, and there's no hint of love for God in our lives, guys, that's just noise. I mean, maybe a really pretty noise, but just noise. So that's when we're singing, if when we're singing these songs, or when we're listening to sermons, or we're serving here on a Sunday, those things, the reason that we do that, we got to keep this in mind, they're meant to equip us so that we can be the church sent out to live for God wherever he sends us. That, that's why we do all this. That's why we meet in groups. It's to equip us to be the people of God sent out as the church to represent God. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks of this dynamic where it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What the author Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, he's saying that our lives transformed because of Jesus are God's message to the world. Our lives that are transformed, that are made different, that is God's message to the world. And it's a fundamentally different way to view what church means. Church is not just this thing we come to to do for two hours on a Sunday. The church is the people of God here, released and sent out so that we might reflect who God is. That through your life that has been made different because of Jesus, now the world is able to look at you and say, okay, I see God. I might not have stepped into a a great worship service on Sunday morning, but I'm seeing God because I'm seeing your life and your life is transformed because of this Jesus. And what this means is then that our mission as a church is we talk about this. And I hope this starts to make sense to you that ultimately I love what we do here. I love this. You know, my adrenaline, this is workout for me. Look at my Fitbit steps after I preach. I do a lot. I love this. I love, 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 love this. But this is not the end goal. What we do here is we gather, we have the gospel, the message of Jesus penetrate our lives. We sing about it. We talk about it with each other. We love one another. We hear it. We pray on it. Why? So that we can be sent out back into the rest of the world. This is not the end goal. This is like a big launching pad to send you boom, boom, boom. Different. Here you go, Northwood. Here you go, Hampton. Boom, Baltimore City. It's just send us back out to wherever you represent in this city. To love in the name of Jesus. And what that means then um, is everything is not going to be centered here. Worship will be, again, so that we can send you back out. It's going to mean, uh, we don't talk about this well enough in the church, that a significant portion of most of your lives is at your workplace. Or maybe your school. The place where you spend most of your time, and it's probably like right there with sleep maybe, is your workplace. Uh, what it means is there's been too often this weird dichotomy between like work as its own thing. And then, okay, now this is the spiritual stuff. When I go to church or when I go to group, or when I'm praying, that's like the Jesus stuff. But, oh, this is the stuff, other stuff I do. It's called work. And we either hate it or we love it. 
We, we either despise it and it's like something we have to do so we can enjoy the rest of our life or we worship it too much and we look for our ultimate satisfaction there when maybe we're supposed to look at our work as a means that we get to live out the expression of who God is. That we do our work with excellence. We do our work with integrity. We work hard. People know the reason that we work hard is because we believe that it's something beautiful God has given us. Unless it's illegal, right? Let's, let's put qualifiers there. But if it's good legal work, that we work hard and we honor God in the midst of that. And, and you know, we have the mission team up here. I love that they're praying a lot. But man, I think we need to have the same approach to work. Like sometimes we, when we're going to go on a mission trip, you're going to pray hard, right? Like, oh, Lord, we're about to go across the world. And we're about to go to a foreign language. And Lord, help us. And we have no problem praying. I think we need to have the same attitude in the mornings when we're going into work. Or into school saying, Lord, I'm about to go into a foreign setting. I don't know what I'm doing. And I need to go represent you. And I'm spending most of my time there. God, help me. And we need to view that as like missions. And we need to say, God, my attitude when I go to work stinks. Can I just be real, God? I hate it. I'm like miserable. I I hope they don't know I go to church because I'd be hard. Change my heart, Lord. Change my heart, God. Remind me that I go in your name. So even though I'm tired as whatever this morning, I don't want to do this. My attitude stinks. Lord, change my heart. Give me eyes to see that this is a place you're intentionally sending me in your name. And view it as our mission field. It means that maybe one of the most significant spiritual acts you can do is not just opening your Bible up. And don't take me as a heretic. I think that's really important. But just along with that is maybe as you open your Bible up, you also open up your home. If that's relevant to you. You open up your home and you have neighbors in. You have other people. And not just people from the church, which is really good, but have people from the church along with people who are not from the church. And let some people be able to experience the beauty of the relationships you have here. Break bread together. Be generous. Be hospitable. And and don't let church just be something relegated to a Sunday morning, but church is being lived out in your living room, in your dining room, as you break bread together with people. And you share the glory of fellowship. Created in Christ. Maybe it means for some of us, it means going to the clinic with a purpose, right? The reality is you go to clinic just because you got to get what you need for that morning. But maybe it means going, saying, Lord, I I pray right now as I go to clinic this morning that you would give me eyes to see there's a whole bunch of broken people here. And they annoy the heck out of me. I don't want anything to do with me. I don't want them to bring me down. But God, you've placed me here for a purpose. God, you've brought me through some stuff here for a purpose. God, my life is not just a set of unforeseen random occurrences. And I just happen to get through because I'm more well behaved. But God, you have intervened in my life when you had no reason to. You have saved me. You have transformed me. And now you've kept me where I am. God, give me eyes to see other broken people just like I was. And to go there in the name of Jesus. Maybe it means, and this might sound like the most unspiritual thing I say, maybe it means like praying about going to quiz night at the pub. And you can edit this part out if someone gets offended. But be legal, be legal if you're 21. But maybe it means going to the pub and doing things like quiz night and going together with other friends from the church. But to be in places where you're spending your time and you're loving people and you're sharing yourself. You guys, I think you're getting the picture that as we live for Christ, it's not just meant to be done within these walls. This cannot be the epicenter of all that we do in the name of Jesus. Rather, this is a place where you like get filled up to throw you back out there, send you out so that you can live for God. That others might be compelled 
Those who do not know God may be compelled in a world that is broken, in a world that is jaded, in a world that is very cynical. They might look at your smiling face and say, what the heck is going on? Because your life stinks just as much as mine does. What gives you reason to smile? Why you got all these other goofy people you hang with? And why y'all smiling weird? Say, oh, it's not because we don't have stuff to be um, burdened about. But we've got a God who's changed our lives. That's why I got this guy who looks absolutely nothing like me. And we should have no reason to be friends. And that's my, that's my brother now. What, you mean? Are you adopted? No, no, that's my brother. <laughs> because of God. He's made us family. It's all worship because it's all an outflow of what God has done in us. And guys, that's why worship ultimately drives us. As we talk about mission, worship ultimately drives us. John Piper, famous pastor, he's, he's well known for saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions ex- The reason why we do missions, whether it's across the world or right here in Baltimore, the reason why we do missions is because worship is not happening. The reason that we are compelled for more people to be known for Christ is because we have such a high, big, glorious view of God. We're like, more people need to worship Him. More people need to say His name. More people need to be down, bowing down before Him. So let me get the word out to more so that God might be that much more glorified and worshipped. Why do we do what we do? God is great, and He needs to be worshipped more and more. And it is a glorious thing to witness that happen. I mean, as I was preparing this this week, I couldn't help but thinking of a lot of you, but especially for those of you who I know this is your first church, or maybe you've truly met God here, or you've like, you were honestly, like you didn't know God before you came into contact with this church, and how God has transformed you from someone who is pursuing all of the things of the world and changing the affections of your heart so that now you see God. And now you go out on the street and people think you're high on something. I mean, honestly, they're like, okay, something's wrong with you. Something's really off with you. What's going on? You're like, oh, I found God. No, really, what's going on with you? And God has changed your heart. I think of some of you who came to the city with every professional aspiration in the world and you had like jet setter in mind and you knew where you're going and God just intervened into your life and grabbed you and he's giving you a heart to care for others when that would actually get in the way of you getting where you want to get to. Because he said, your life is not just your own. Plant yourself so that God might be glorified through and in your life. And you're like, no, 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 I got somewhere to get to. But man, God has put people in my heart now. And God has worked. Some of you that were straight on the path to destruction, who God has put himself into your life because he loves you. He's repairing your marriage, repairing family, repairing bad relationships, healing issues of shame and woundedness. Some of you who've been abused sexually, mentally, physically, experiencing slow Sometimes quick, but often slow redemption and healing. So many of us here just living out as a church, when church is often a place where we hide ourselves more than any others, right? Church, I don't know about you growing up, but for me, church is the place where I was the least honest with myself. But giving a vision of the people of God saying, wow, truly, no perfect people allowed. We come with our junk. We come with our hangups. We come with our wounds. We come with the things that are still scars all over us in our soul. And yet we come open and honest. We don't have to hide anymore because God loves us where we are. 
He transforms us, gives us family, heals us to be sent back out into a world so that we might glorify and honor this God who can do something like that. More worshipers of God. More worshipers of God who's great. And, and that's why and we wanted to let you know about this. I think a, a realistic expectation of that is never to just say, well, that's great. Let's keep that here. But we're, we're, we're actually having a meeting on Sunday, April 30th. And we want you to be, it's coming up in a few weeks. We want you to be aware of it. Where we're praying through what would it look like for us to send out another church into our city? Another expression of the people of God. It's, it's, it's another way to, um, again, I want to be really clear. This is not like branding. This is not franchising. This is not say, oh, yeah, for a franchise fee, you can be the next villain. No, it's not that. This is simply saying, and I think it has not been disproven yet, that the most effective way that you reach the lost in our society is through new churches. And our church has definitely been evidence of that. So what we are going to do is say, if that's the most effective way that people who don't know God are going to come in contact with God, we're going to send out a new church into our city. And we want to send out as many people who would want to go with that as possible. So this is not a commitment to come to this meeting. Don't be afraid. You're not giving us your social or anything like that. But pray about it. Come to this meeting and just hear some of our vision for what it looks like that we might go into the city as a new expression. Why? So that we might have some more of those stories. So that we might have some more people who don't know God, who are not worshiping him, become worshipers of God you simply, we want to share what God has done in our life. And I know if we had time, open mic, we go a hundred of you up here, share how has God worked in my life. That's got to be something we need others to know about, others to share in. Bow your head with me. And let's stand together. And I want to be really clear. I believe that God works for our well-being and for our behalf. That's biblical. God does want to save you. God does want Jesus died so that you could be reconciled to God. That's a very real, true message. But guys, it never stops with that. This story is a perpetually uh, forward-moving story that when your life is transformed, when you are redeemed, you are invited onto a bigger part of the story to keep that being pray receive this Lord's Supper and believe in you again. So let's do those things. Feel free to pray with others as well, but let's respond to the word of God this morning. In the cups of Jesus' blood, I want to invite you, if you're a Christian, to come up during this time of response, receive communion, remember the one who loves you, even if you think no one else does, and meditate on that deeply and have your heart girded in that. Lord, help us as we come to you this morning. Lord, I think these areas, sometimes it just reveals real stuff of our heart. It reveals where we don't fully think you're enough. Thank you for grace that gently brings us to you. Would you remind us even in this time as we meditate upon the Lord's Supper that you tell us over and over again that you're enough. You want to be enough. You give yourself so that you would be enough. So help us to meditate on that. Pray about that. Maybe some of us need to repent, make some hard choices. Lord, but we love you. We thank you for showing us what sacrifice looks like. So let's receive communion, pray, sing, whatever you need to do. Pray with one another if God's leading you to do that. And let's respond to the word.